0: Caitlin, welcome to our season finale of Saved by the City.
1: This has been a great season. Also, I'm ready for summer break. Same. Do you have any
0: fun summer plans?
1: I am doing a light jaunt over to Germany and Austria at the end of the summer for hiking. But before that, we are kicking off summer this coming weekend Both of us are going to Richmond, Virginia to visit our friend Holly.
0: Yay! I'm so excited. (laughs) Me too. Did you uh, and your INFJ self create a (laughs) 10-point daily plan for us? I promise I'll mostly follow it. Mostly.
1: I stopped myself from doing, like, the fun things to do in Richmond research. I gave that joy over to Holly, who I'm pretty sure is also a J. So (laughs) you are free to be the chaos agent this weekend. Yes! From Religion News Service, this is Safe by the
0: City, a podcast from two single Christian women making plans and ditching them in New York City.
1: I'm Roxy Stone. And I'm Caitlin Beatty.
2: I'm Paul Brandeis Rauschenbusch. This week on The State of Belief.
0: I felt like if anyone was going to be speaking up, It was going to have to be somebody like me.
2: Faithful conversations around sexual orientation and gender identity in Texas with Auburn Peterson of Another Story. Also, getting ready for the 2024 vote with Adam Friedman, organizing an election strategist at Interfaith Alliance. The State of Belief, where religion and democracy meet. Distributed by Religion News Service Podcasts and available on your favorite podcast app. I'm Paul Brandeis Rauschenbusch. The State of Belief is a weekly podcast with a potent mix of spiritual wisdom, political strategy, and hopeful commentary in a series of inspiring conversations celebrating our diversity and bringing us together to, in the words of the great James Baldwin, achieve our country. The State of Belief, where religion and democracy meet, distributed by Religion News Service Podcasts and available on your favorite podcast app.
0: This week is like a little... Caitlin's sandwich for me. You're welcome. (laughs) I got to see you at the beginning of it and then for our trip this weekend.
1: Yes, this past weekend, we did our first ever live event for the podcast. We were invited to give a talk at St. Bart's Church in East Midtown, and it was fun, I think. (laughs) I think so, too. Uh,
0: They recorded it, and you all can go watch it on their website if you feel like it.
1: Naturally, instead of giving a very serious talk about all our problems with evangelicalism, because we've already done that multiple times on the podcast, we played a game. Of course. It was a game adapted from a bachelorette party game I did recently.
2: (laughs) We brought a
0: a bowl with us, and in the bowl were three types of questions, and they were color-coded. Light blue was easy breezy. Those were the fun and lighthearted questions. And then hot pink Those were the let's go there questions, which were obviously the personal questions. And then the orange ones, which were so sanctimonious. These were the questions about church, religion, faith, etc.
1: Today, we are going to play it again and flip it so that we each have to answer the questions we didn't get to on Sunday. Mm -hmm. Let's start with easy breezy. Thank you.
0: <laughs> Here's the easy breezy question I answered, now turned back on you. Yes. I'm if ready. you could have only one amenity in your New York City apartment, which would it be? A dishwasher, in unit laundry, or a doorman?
1: I've been thinking about this since Sunday and I. <laughs> I have to go with in-unit laundry yeah I do have a dishwasher it's great maybe I would say that if I didn't have one but I was like two hours on Sunday were spent schlepping a huge load of laundry to the laundromat and just like hanging out there yeah and man it would just be so nice to like turn around and do it whenever you need to
0: multitask do other things while yes. you're doing laundry yes that's
1: true you remember can't how we used to be able to do that, <sighs> that yeah lived in the suburbs <laughs> that was ugh. oh i can't even think about that so i'm gonna go with in unit laundry okay here's your easy breezy question that i answered on sunday weirdest first date in new york uh
0: <laughs> all right
1: this was i think this
0: was in this was last year at some point it was a hinge date Mm -hmm. And um, I met up with this guy at this thing on the river called like the classic car club. Okay. I know this because I've been getting their emails ever since, no matter how many times I unsubscribe.
1: (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) I know.
0: That's the worst. But it's this weird kind of big warehouse on the river that has like a lot of classic cars in it, but also like a restaurant and a bar. It sounds fun so far. Yeah. Like it sounded like something my dad would like, right? But then the weird thing was that I showed up and I met him and then he was like, oh, some of my friends are here. Mm. And so then I ended up like at a table with him and two of his friends. And then it also turned out that they were all kind of in business together and they were trying to make some kind of deal happen that night. Oh, that's lame. Okay, this
1: is is a bad way of multitasking. You don't (laughs) conduct a date and a business meeting at the same time poor yeah. form it was weird it was weird did you stay long or were you like uh yeah go. i mean i stayed i stayed for a while
0: and then um and then we like we're like let's go get dinner somewhere else but then those other guys came along too and so then i like left after dinner but he like walked me to the subway and then he like went in for the kiss and i was like i don't
3: <laughs> what i don't think so <laughs>
0: All right. So this is sort of bridging onto the hot pink question. So yeah. we can go there next. Let's okay. get real. Uh-huh. All right. Your question. What is a challenge of being single at our age that doesn't get talked about enough? And what about a joy?
1: My answer is super pragmatic. I, as a you know, person with a career, living alone in an apartment, an adult who has to do adult things, mm-hmm. I frequently feel that it all falls to me. <laughs> yes. Like all the things that need to get done all the, the laundries yeah the laundry the groceries the bills the taxes all the responsible adult things those are not shared with anybody mm-hmm. like i sometimes feel the weight of like well i can't lean on somebody else to like share the load
0: 100%
1: you know i think both of us like for all that is on our plates we probably do a pretty dang good job but it would be nice to rely on somebody else
0: yeah, it really would. I think about this a lot when I travel, too, because it's like I have to figure out pet sitters for both Ooh. animals. Like if I'm traveling for work, you know, so like probably if I had a partner, they wouldn't be going.
1: Right, so, right,
0: right. You know, and then I come back and then there's no groceries and then I have to get groceries and then it's like all those things when you travel that would just be so much easier if someone else could like help.
1: Yeah, yeah. <sighs> um, a joy. Oh, dang. <laughs> I love having my own bed.
0: Mm, mm. Do you starfish in it?
1: (laughs) What is starfishing? (laughs) (laughs) Really? (laughs) It's like Uh, literally
0: you're in the shape of a starfish, which means that you're like... You get the whole thing. You take up the entire bed
1: on purpose. You know, I sleep on one side of the bed. The times that I do share a bed with somebody else, I don't sleep as well. Mm -hmm. And I just like having my own space in that regard. I think I sleep better. I think... If I were to get married, I think the sleeping arrangement would be a hurdle. Now it could also come with some benefits, I've heard. Yeah.
0: I've heard that too.
1: All right. On to the hot pink question for you. If your teenage self could see you and your life now, what would she think?
0: I think it'd be a mixed bag. She'd like like <clears throat> she'd be like, ooh, you live in New York City? Look at all the books on your bookshelf. Your dog is cute. Aw. Oh yeah. I mean, she'd be like, What? What? Why are you married? Why don't you have kids? How come you're not a millionaire? You know, at least she'd have have some questions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, last one. So sanctimonious. Obviously, these were my favorite. When did you first start to feel at odds with the evangelical tradition you grew up with?
1: I know that there's a very easy answer, and it's an answer that we have explored in Mm -hmm. many episodes of the podcast, and that would be, you know, the 2016 election and the fallout from that. Mm -hmm. And that is... Was a real turning point. But actually, I think it probably goes back a little bit farther to things that I was learning about gender roles in the evangelical tradition Mm -hmm. as a young adult, coming across the book on biblical manhood and womanhood from John Piper and Wayne Grudem in college, where they just flat Mm -hmm. out say, we don't think that women are ever called by God to be pastors and mm-hmm. I did something with the book that wasn't very nice at that point. I don't even remember what it was, but I, like, threw it or slammed it or something. You burned it. <laughs> I, I didn't the burn effigy. it. <laughs> <laughs> I still don't know if the evangelical tradition in general has a lot of space for women like me, like us. Yeah. All right, last one. So, Sanctimonious, why are so many of our episodes about Hillsong? <laughs> <laughs>
0: And of course, now we're doing another episode about Hillsong.
1: <laughs> this is like three or four. So, uh, like... yeah, at least four.
0: I mean, maybe if Hillsong would stop doing crazy things, we'd stop talking about them. <laughs> yeah,
1: Hillsong's being Hillsong. <laughs> so,
0: <laughs> I think it's because they just feel really representative of a lot of the things that frustrate us about the sort of representation of a kind of. 20th, 21st century church spectacle that, you know, you write about a lot in your book, Celebrities for Jesus. And, you know, Hillsong is sort of like the star of that. Uh And, you know, I think there's a number of things. There's sort of like a a toxic masculinity and hierarchy Mm. that's exhibited there. There's celebrity pastors. There's a sort of rock star quality to it and yet kind of a shallowness of theology, at least what people are getting. Mm -hmm. There's a stage, not a pulpit. Right. Um, Right. And then underneath that, there's this system of taking volunteers for granted, taking women for granted, like, an idea of diversity and inclusion but then Mm -hmm. not a reality of it so there's just a bunch of things i think that like have come to represent larger issues Uh, but they keep throwing it in our face so we keep talking about
1: it they're they're saying the thing out loud (laughs) out loud with neon lights and smoke machines (laughs) exactly Also, both of us have been in the two documentaries about Hillsong. Mm -hmm. The one that I was in aired in full last week. And needless to say, we have some thoughts about that documentary.
0: We certainly do, as does our guest today.
1: Janice Legata is a musician and podcaster, and she was a longtime member of Hillsong New York, who was interviewed in both documentaries.
0: The newest documentary, The Secrets of Hillsong, included interviews with a bunch of former Hillsong volunteers, including Janice. But it also featured the former lead pastor of Hillsong, New York City, Carl Lentz, who was speaking publicly for the first time since his ouster.
1: After the full documentary premiered, Janice wrote an open letter to the film director detailing some of her frustrations about how the show portrayed Carl Lentz and his wife, Laura.
3: I personally have no desire to be part of a Carl Lentz redemption arc, so... This is just how I'm feeling. When the director wrote back, she said, no, we're just trying to do something fair and balanced. Our conversation with Janice is coming up later in the show.
0: How are you feeling about the documentary now that you've seen it?
1: This is an incredibly vain but honest answer, but I didn't like how I looked on TV and maybe nobody does. But
0: yeah, I didn't like how I looked in the one I was in either.
1: I thought the documentary did a decent job of putting Hillsong in a broader context. Mm -hmm. Like the Hillsong phenomenon doesn't come out of thin air, like showing Mm -hmm. its roots in Pentecostalism the kind of business franchise model of Hillsong. The last two of the four episodes really dug into the story of Brian Houston and he's been accused and is now facing trial for a up of sexual abuse at the hands of his late father, Frank Houston. Mm-hmm. I thought the documentary did a good job of going deep. I was surprised that one whole episode of a four part series was just featuring Carl and Laura Lentz, I thought that Mm -hmm. Carl took up a lot of airtime and also was able to evade some of the harder questions about his leadership, which is why we're talking today.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because I thought the documentary that I was in, the um, Hillsong, A Mega Church Exposed, Uh I felt like it came hard at Carl um, as the bad guy without like scrutinizing the larger Hillsong global church as Mm -hmm. much. And then in some ways I felt like this one did the opposite and almost went too far of sort of portraying Carl Lentz as like victim of the system of, you know, like abuser and not good and what he did was bad, but he isn't the big bad guy. You know, the big bad guy is Brian Houston and the global megachurch phenomenon. And I think, you know, Lentz certainly set himself up that way he he apologized Mm -hmm. a lot and talked a lot about what he felt he did wrong but he also like made pains to regularly pivot toward yeah but Hillsong as a larger church groomed me to be this way brought me up this way the system is broken Brian Houston is broken and I'm sort of just like a product of that and I like Agree on a level and don't agree on a level, you know, like there's a part of me that has for a long time been like, oh, I feel like Carl has became the fall guy for Hillsong and they kept like trying to distance themselves from him and say he was the real problem and... Good riddance, and now we can just go on being a great church, and that they let him be the fall guy. But there was all this chaos and scandal mm-hmm. in the larger church, too, that was going unscrutinized. So I feel a little conflicted about how the documentary sort of ended up making that pivot.
1: Yeah, that's well said. I will say, I like just watching him on screen for 10 minutes, I was like, oh, okay, I get why so many people. <laughs> followed him put their trust in him wanted to be around him wanted to watch him for he he mm-hmm. is very charismatic he knows mm-hmm. how to say the right thing that evokes like empathy or compassion for him. And I don't, I don't know him as a person. I will just say that Mm -hmm. if you are predisposed to want to believe him, this documentary gives you a lot of reasons to really think of him just primarily as a victim. There were specific questions around Mm -hmm. treatment of people inside the church, um, the use of church money, the treatment of volunteers the alleged sexual abuse of the Lens's former nanny that really just didn't get asked Mm -hmm. by the documentary filmmaker. And Mm -hmm. by the end of episode two, I was thinking, I bet there was some kind of agreement between... The filmmaker or the production team and Mm -hmm. the lenses where they agreed to speak, you know, for the first time since his ouster on camera, but using very specific guardrails around the questions Mm -hmm. that they would and wouldn't answer. It felt like the documentary ended up being an apology tour for the lenses, and I don't think that that was... Wise mm-hmm. On the part of the filmmakers,
0: and I mean, I can understand the thrill of getting them and having them agree to to be featured and to do this interview and I think you know as a journalist, I would have taken that hmm. too, even with those guardrails. I just think that then if they 're not going to answer those questions, you have to have some right. other people come on to talk about them, you know like you have to have someone some kind of an expert, some other Hillsong volunteers come on and say well okay that's that's what he says about that but here's my thoughts or here's some yeah let, let's trouble that a little bit i did a little write-up for religion news service about the documentary and i talked to david pooler who's a clergy sex abuse expert about some of what carl lint said in the documentary like specifically around the leona kinds incident Carl, in the documentary, admits and allows that like he had the power dynamic in that situation um you know he was he was not only leona's boss, he was also her pastor, he was also mm-hmm. her husband's boss, her husband also worked for the church, which um, so he, I'm just going to
1: say as an aside probably unwise really messy it's unwise to babysit for your boss in another (laughs) capacity like it's just too Uh it's too messy it's like this 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 is bad boundaries that's (laughs) my boundary flags are going off and the church
0: paid for all of this i mean so this is something that hillsong knew about (sighs) Which
1: again, okay. you yep. know, so as I stated,
0: <laughs> you know, but Carl in the documentary says, you know, uh, he ag- acknowledges the power dynamics that were there, but then he also says that any notion of abuse is categorically false and uh-huh. describes them as mutual adult decisions made by two people who lied profusely, mainly to my wife. And mm-hmm. the documentary kind of leaves it there. I talked to David Pooler and he, you know, he was like, I don't think that Carl Lentz really understands power mm-hmm. and consent. <laughs> you know, he said, there's a power differential. It's consensual. And those two don't go together. And this is a quote. He said for Carl to claim consent is ludicrous. I literally think it's ludicrous for him to claim that End quote. And you know, I I felt like the documentary didn't necessarily do right by Leona Kimes. You know, I think they had Tiffany Perez, who was also a former Hillsong volunteer, who was the nanny for Leona Kimes and her family, <laughs> and you know has it's been it's been documented elsewhere that there was like uh, somewhat of a uh, you know an exploitive relationship there where Tiffany was working a crazy number of hours as their nanny not getting paid very much at all
1: also a and, young woman of color yes trying and, to establish a leadership position in the church and kind of
0: mm-hmm.
1: not being given it
0: yeah i mean that's true and you know she was g- sort of getting these nanny a nanny job instead of like a leadership position mm-hmm. And so she's feeling taken advantage of by the Kimeses and then Leona's feeling taken advantage of by the Lenses. And I think there is something to be said there about how it's like this, (laughs) this unfortunate trickle down effect of like, well, this is just what you do to get into a position at Hillsong because eventually Leona's husband became a pastor and it sort of felt like, well, I did my time. Now it's time for somebody else to do their time as like the nanny, the servant, Mm -hmm. But, mm-hmm. but I did feel like the documentary portrayed Leona as like a little obsessive about the lenses and like, she was always over there. And I mean, I and don't like know. No that... one
1: understood why she was always right. over there. It was.
0: Yeah. Like she didn't need to be over there. Yeah. There was a lot of insinuation I felt like there and not necessarily a lot of exploration of the power dynamic and why that mattered.
1: Mm-hmm. I had never heard Laura mm-hmm. Lentz in like a, you know, a video clip or anything. I didn't realize that she was Australian. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize that she grew up in a family that was very close to the Houston family. So she's, she grew up in Hillsong culture in the original church network in Australia. Mm -hmm. And I just find her kind of fascinating. I mean, one, she admits to punching the nanny. I was like, Mm -hmm. I want to hear more about that. Mm -hmm. But also just seeing the challenging place that she was put in, has been put in, as the wife of this celebrity pastor in Hillsong. Like her entire livelihood and identity is wrapped up Mm -hmm. in her marriage to this man. And so she's almost forced to come be his biggest supporter in this time and kind of vouch for him and for the way that he's changing in a public way. Because the cost of walking away from the marriage or separating or kind of leaving the professional church world is too great for her.
0: The documentary also had her parents on, which I thought was interesting.
1: Well, it made her a very sympathetic character.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And this is tough because it sucks to have your husband cheat on you and to have that go down incredibly publicly. Mm -hmm. I'm sure it's really miserable to have paparazzi outside your home photographing you and your husband every time you come out. And I mean, I'm sure that that was really, really crappy experience. Um, And then her kids and she talks about the ways this have impacted her kids, And she goes on and so did her parents to talk about how they felt really abandoned by Hillsong
1: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
0: during this and, you know, felt thrown under the bus. And I resonate with that. I mean, I think that's they felt betrayed. Her parents had given their lives to Hillsong and so had she and then probably didn't expect for the Houstons to kind of turn so Mm -hmm. much on them and on, you know, ostensibly mostly on Carl, but also she lost her job and her position at Hillsong, whatever that was, which we're not totally sure what her job was, but you know, all of these guys, all of these pastors, their wives are also supposed to be the co-pastors, and that's either a symbolic role or sometimes like with Bobby Houston, a very active role, but they always come as a duo. And so mm-hmm, they mm-hmm. also leave as a duo.
1: Right, right. Even though only one person might right. be, you know, accused of significant failures in leadership and mm-hmm. moral credibility, both both go down. I do think that the documentary does a good job of showing that, all the issues that we saw with Hillsong New York weren't isolated to Hillsong New York. They weren't isolated to Carl Lentz. Mm-hmm. These were issues of lack of accountability, misuse of church funds, mm-hmm. sexual abuse, the cover up of se- Like all these things, they're baked into the Hillsong story. They are mm-hmm. like deeply rooted in Hillsong culture Carl was brought into that culture as a young man, was kind mm-hmm. of groomed to become, you know, the first kind of major American pastor in the Hillsong network. He was given a pedestal, given a lot of responsibility. You, you saw the ways that he felt the immense pressures of that, that he was getting pressure from Hillsong in Australia to kind of be on the vanguard and was probably not given a lot of like proper support or accountability. So I think all of that is true. And then I also want to say, yeah, but Carl isn't just like Carl has to take responsibility for the ways that he operated Mm -hmm. within this toxic system. Like it's not just you lose your individual willpower completely when you're also mistreated and put into an unfortunate position. So how do we articulate a dynamic where someone is both a product of a deeply unhealthy culture, but is also responsible for their actions within that deeply unhealthy culture.
0: I think there's going to be some proof is in the pudding now for Carl. Like he's he's said a bunch of things in this documentary publicly about being sorry for these things and attempting to take responsibility on some level, if not nearly enough. And now I'm kind of curious, like what's he going to do with that? If he's outside of the system and he's named the issues of the system mm-hmm. and how they formed and shaped him like how what is the work that he's going to do on mm-hmm. himself to avoid that he's at another church now and, you know, a church that doesn't look very different from Hillsong in a lot of ways. It's a glitzy mega church with a lot of fanfare and celebrity <sighs> pastors. And, you know, the pastor ends up on preachers and sneakers a lot. Michael Todd. You know?
1: Michael yeah, Todd. Yeah, it's,
0: it's it's not so different of a culture.
1: I, I'm seeing all these red flags mm-hmm. about that church and about yeah. the style of leadership. I'm like, Carl, what? Yeah, I know, <laughs> like, I know. Do you not see... Right, You could very well be setting yourself up for like double failure. He said (laughs) out loud that he came
0: out of a really toxic, broken system that groomed him to be a certain type of pastor and a certain type of leader. So like... What are the lessons he's taken from all of this and and how is he attempting to avoid them in his future as he moves forward?
1: And I think there's a certain kind of naivete that you could attribute to him as a 20 year old kind of, Mm -hmm. you know, going to Hillsong College in Sydney and being hand selected. I mean, gosh, you know, that feels good. Right, right. In this very exciting, dynamic church ministry, the top leader picks you to play this really important role. So I can I can look back on kind of his start and say there was a lot that he didn't know and kind of had to learn in a hard way. But now he should know better. Mm-hmm. I, I am not willing to grant the cover of naivete to mm-hmm. Carl Lentz anymore.
0: One of the things I kept hearing in the documentary from him was. A real repentance around how he'd hurt his family, like his nuclear family, his wife and his kids, um, by having these affairs. Mm -hmm. I heard less about how he had hurt the broader church and what kind of reparations he was making around that. Like, he Mm -hmm. talked a lot about his journey of healing with his family and the work that he's had to do to apologize, to make amends to his family. And I heard less Mm -hmm. about what he's doing to repair and heal the brokenness within the church culture that he led. For him to say that the main damage was to his family is leaving a lot off the table. Mm.
1: Right. As I was watching, I was wondering how people in the Hillsong family felt about this kind of lack of reparations, including the people who were interviewed for the documentary, which the documentary definitely interviews plenty of ex Hillsong folks. But I wondered if they knew that he was going to be interviewed. Uh, I assume that they did not and wondered if they felt like a little bit tricked by the fact that he was given such a space to speak in the series.
0: It's one of the reasons we were so eager to talk to Janice and so grateful for her willingness to come on the podcast.
1: Our conversation with Janice is coming up just after the break. Religion News Service is an independent
0: award-winning source of global reporting on religion, spirituality, culture, and ethics.
1: Get all the news from the pews.
0: And if you like what we're doing at Say by the City, let us know. Throw us a rating or a review. It goes a long way toward helping get the word out about the show.
1: You can also reach us via email at sbtcpodcast at religionnews.com. We'd love to hear from
2: you.
0: Shoot us some ideas for next season. We're already in the planning stages.
3: Hey there, curious minds.
2: Get ready to embark on a unique journey at the crossroads of money and religion with our new podcast, Money Meet Meeting. The seductive effect of money, we think it can do the work that God does because there's something about money that does that. It's wild.
1: I'm Amber Hacker.
2: And I'm Tom Levinson.
1: Tune in for a blend of wisdom and levity as we decode the path to a more meaningful relationship with money.
2: I think giving, and this is a little crass, but I feel like it's the ultimate middle finger to money. It's liberating to give some away. This podcast is your gateway to a vibrant and thought-provoking exploration of the interconnectedness of wealth and spirituality.
1: Join us as we unravel the surprising influence of ancient wisdom on modern finances.
2: Faith pervades people's lives and our society. And because money is such an important part of people's lives, exploring that intersection of faith and money, I think is super, super interesting. Get ready to be informed, entertained, and inspired to transform your financial outlook with Money Meet Meaning. Available wherever you get your podcasts.
1: We're really excited today to be joined by Janice Legata. Thank you so much for having this conversation with us, Janice.
3: Thank you for having me. Yeah, welcome.
1: You're the first person... On our podcast, who has been in not one but two recent Hillsong documentaries, but obviously a lot of your story is missing from both documentaries, right? Can you take us back a bit? How did you end up attending and you know even being very involved at Hillsong New York? Yeah, hearing
3: Hillsong music and you know growing up in church as a you know evangelical young person, mm. an evangelical musician with that wrestle of if you have a gift in the arts then you have to use it for the lord with Hillsong music really really rising in the early 2000s Mm -hmm. and being like okay this is this is how i can kind of strike that balance you know i can be a musician by going and learning from some of the best to do it in the christian world so yeah went to the bible college in 2005 Meant to stay there for a year, ended up staying in Australia for four and a half years. Then wow. moving to New York in October of 2009, and actually ended up joining a little Connect group that was planted by some people that I knew from Hillsong College mm-hmm. in February of 2010, when Hillsong Sydney, you know, had their vision Sunday and announced, uh, we're going to be planting." for the first time in the United States, we're going to be planting in New York. And so that connect group that I was already a part of became the Hillsong New York launch group. So I was literally in there from day one. From the very beginning. Yeah. Wow.
1: Obviously, you, you can't unsee what you ended up seeing at Hillsong New York, but if you could go back and kind of remember those early days, what do you think drew you and so many others to Hillsong New York?
3: I mean, it's just a cool place so many people come to New York for so many different reasons but you're usually chasing something and I think you want something to hold on to and so Hillsong is good for Mm -hmm. that because you can come here and meet a bunch of people who again look cool whatever level of involvement you want so if you just Mm -hmm. want to be able to come and sneak in the back and just enjoy some good music and you know check that box but like in a fun way you can do that if you want to go deeper in and get to know some people who think and feel the way that you do about things, then then that's there. If you want to feel like, oh, I'm contributing somewhere somehow and, you know, being a part of the gospel or something good, well, I can volunteer and I can get involved. Mm-hmm. So it's just a low-entry fee way of mm-hmm. getting mm-hmm. whatever it is you were looking for. When did you start to see some cracks? When
0: did you start to, like, really— ask some questions and begin to think like "Mm, are we really
3: doing this right is this really okay honestly in sydney oh okay and at that time it was it was mostly just about things that were happening in the in the bible college i can think back and just kind of see how how the different hierarchies and the different levels and things in hillsong Mm. just kind of keep people from questioning things for a while because like in the in the college like oh there are these issues here Brian and Bobby must not know that this this and this is happening. Constantly being frustrated with like this middle hmm. these middle managers and kind of giving them the blame mm-hmm. for everything. And some of that is valid and then now I know a lot of it was not. I mean, we were having a good time in the early days and just feeling mm-hmm. like, oh, you know, we're really we're really doing something here and then using that to kind of paper over over the cracks that were showing, you know, in the way beginning. Oh, I don't really like the way they speak to this volunteer. I don't really like this this reserved seating thing. I don't really mm-hmm. understand why the pastors aren't, you know, associating with people. Mm-hmm. But uh, look at all these people that are coming. Mm-hmm. And we're just growing so fast. we just got to keep it moving because the main thing is that people are coming and getting saved. So
1: talk a little bit about Like, what were the specific things you you mentioned, like a treatment of volunteers or the distance between pastors and congregants or people coming? Like, what were some of the other concerning things that you and others really started to see and try to address internally?
3: I mean, the kind of like the biggest thing and people outside and inside kind of noticed was like the whole reserved seating system. Right. I was someone who was volunteering from day one and was volunteering at a position with, like, high access. I could come and go, but to see people, you know, standing in line for hours, you know, Hillsong loved to to put that on the social media. Like, look at these lines that we have. <laughs> and so, so many people lining up early, getting in the building, and not having a seat. Mm-hmm. Got all these these first three rows just open because they're holding them for whoever's on that list. Mm-hmm. It's just very uncomfortable to know these people stood outside and now they're standing up in the back Mm -hmm. and this is happening in extreme heat. This is happening in rain and snow. Like there's a lot of things you can do and be like, I don't know if the Bible really speaks about this. But I'm like, there are literally scriptures, you know, (laughs) that
1: are saying don't. (laughs) Don't show favoritism to the wealthy, (laughs) important people. Right.
3: And that's exactly what we're doing. So it's like, oh, there are these things that are just blatantly. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure the Bible speaks directly to this. You know, what eventually took me out is the other things. Well, the Bible doesn't really specifically say how preachers are supposed to be picked or how how Hillsong is supposed to, you know, compose their staff. But I don't know. As a black woman, Mm -hmm. this is very hurtful and disheartening to see, in this case, mediocre white man after white man be put into these positions of power and authority. Mm -hmm. Just watching other people being overlooked Mm -hmm. we were asking questions all the time but the way the culture worked any question that i had i immediately have to turn it on myself well this is me i have to check my heart oh man am i being tested is this just a trial is this the devil trying to get me off track so like having to do all that internal work Mm -hmm. it just takes a while before you get to the point where you're like oh actually no i do think i do think this is wrong
1: What is your read on Carl Lentz? What do we kind of need to keep in mind about charismatic leaders that you may not pick up in a documentary like the one that just came out?
3: I mean, he is. He is very charismatic. I guess the thing we need to pick up is like, why does that matter? Mm. So much of evangelicalism is is based on charisma. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know he went to... Hillsong Bible College. But like, what even is that? What does that mean? Mm-hmm. We're just giving people so much authority, so much power, just based on charisma. Mm. And charisma is great. Like, there's nothing There's nothing wrong with it. But it's like anything. Like, what are you using? Are you using this power for good or for bad? And ultimately, Carl Lentz has used it and I think will continue to use it for bad, for himself and for whoever matters to him. Mm-hmm. When you
0: first agreed to be on this documentary, did you know that they were going to talk to Carl and have Carl on the documentary as well?
3: No, I was surprised. I mean, I knew they wanted to talk to him. Mm -hmm. Everybody did.
0: Right. Tell us how that landed with you. (laughs) I mean, part of the reason we wanted to talk to you is because you have a pretty spicy blog take, an open letter to the documentarian where you don't mint a lot of words,
3: yeah. So, you know, initially the the documentary was, was pitched as we're not evangelicals mm-hmm. and we're trying to understand, you know, kind of what this is. The other documentary focused a lot on the more salacious bits and we're not really interested in that. We're trying to understand this more from a spiritual abuse perspective. Mm-hmm. So, yes, it's about Carl Lentz, but even bigger more than that, it's about... Hillsong, and even more than that, is about evangelicalism. Mm. Like, because this is something that is happening across this world. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they wanted to talk to survivors and understand survivor narratives and kind of get at the, the darker underbelly of all of this. So I was like, okay, great. Yeah, I found out that Carl and Laura were a part of it when the press release dropped. Mm-hmm. I had people messaging me so worried. My first reaction, too, was like, oh, oh, no. Mm-hmm. And I emailed the director then. I was like, well, honestly, it's a, it's off-putting and it seems a little shady that you got the lenses on board and didn't didn't say anything. I personally have no desire to be part of a Carl lens redemption arc. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. this is just how I'm feeling. And the director wrote back. She said, no, we're just trying to do something fair and balanced. I'm like, OK, that's fine. It's like evangelicals, they were going to support them and be all for the forgiveness and redemption and the grace arc. But for outsiders, I think I think it'll be pretty clear. Hmm. And then, you know, part of my irritation with it all now is that, no, like you made me do extra work trying to comfort people. And like, no, I think it's going to be OK. Guys. Mm. We're going to we're going to be OK. And it's like you made me complicit mm. again in the storyline of Carl Lentz. Mm. Mm.
1: Yeah, you kind of would hope that documentary filmmakers like totally outside the evangelical system wouldn't be taken in in the same way. And I'm very curious to know, maybe from a legal or contractual agreement, whether there was some kind of like, yes, we'll be in your documentary if you portray us in this way. I would not be surprised. He got so much airtime. Yeah, so much. A quarter or more and more. Of the entire documentary.
3: Again, everybody wanted to talk to the lenses. So I think they got them on board and
1: probably just made a deal with the devil
3: and mm-hmm. just gave them too much say so. And I don't even think it's like they had footage of them implicating themselves. And, you know, and then we're like, no, you can't post that. I don't believe the footage exists. Like, I think they just said, here's what we'll, we'll talk about. And that's it. Because, mm-hmm. like, I'm fine. I'm fine with you bringing the lenses on and, you know, asking them you punched your nanny. Okay. Well, this report says you actually punched her two or three times. You're saying you did it once. Uh-huh. This is saying this is where it happened. You're saying it happened like this. Explain that. Right. You punched your nanny. She was also part of your church. <laughs> it's a big deal. Yeah. Right. What does that say about women in evangelicalism? How do you think about, you know, power dynamics and and dealing with the nanny now there was nothing to to anchor it like in today Mm -hmm. like we're we all know this all happened and we're talking about that but I don't know anything new about what do Carl and Laura Lentz actually think or believe about anything Mm -hmm. you basically just let them retell the story in their own words and then like oh okay that sounds good the Lenses are still married. The Houstons are still married. The Bogarts are
0: still married. The Kymes are still married. That's a lot of people to stay married with infidelity happening.
3: Why do you think all
0: of these marriages are still intact?
3: These are all these deeper issues and all these things that I think would have been nice for someone to get into. How women are treated in evangelicalism. You know, Leona, in her talking about what happened between her and Carl, when she would say, well, I'm going to leave. I'm going to quit this job. He'd be like, you don't, you don't have a college degree. Where are you going to go? mm -hmm. And so like, you're dealing with women who have given their all to this world, Mm -hmm. been raised in this world, been raised to be pastor's Mm -hmm. wives. It's like a a gilded cage. Mm -hmm. When things are good, things are good. You guys are at the top of this social ladder. You have money, you have housing, you have all the things that you need, but this is all contingent on, this man Mm. and his position. And yeah, you guys all have these honorary titles. Again, Laura Lentz, you were fired or you resigned. What was your job? What were you doing? Like your job is to be Carl Lentz's wife. Mm -hmm. A lot of people are walking around with the pastor title. It's just based on who you're married to. Mm -hmm. And so these women honestly just don't have a lot of options. Like yes, they could leave their husbands and, and start over, but man... Like, you're you're going to find a job, you're going to find housing, mm-hmm. you're going to do all these things on your own, and probably now without the support of the evangelical world.
1: Right. It's not just the practical and financial puzzle, but it's also your decision to divorce your husband or separate. That would not be a choice that would be supported or or praised. It would be like, what about forgiveness? What about second chances? What about grace? What about... Mm-hmm. The sanctity of marriage and family, it would be so much to risk. Yeah. Because,
3: like, in the list of people who have not gotten divorced, but Joel and Esther have, they have been disappeared from this story. But, like, Esther was her own person and had her own life and things before Joel Houston and, you know, can now go on without Joel Houston. Wait, they're
1: divorced. Is
3: that official? I didn't know that was official. I
0: knew it was like in the works, but.
3: Yeah, but I mean, everything, everything with the Houstons is kept so, Mm -hmm. so quiet. But yeah, it's like the system sets women up to, to be dependent and to need these marriages and to stay in these marriages. Mm
1: -hmm. So for, I mean, the countless number of people globally who have been harmed or hurt within the Hillsong world, what does healing look like? Maybe more personally, like how have you proceeded after such difficult experiences within Hillsong.
3: I mean, moving forward just looks different
1: for everybody.
3: One of the main things and one of the only things really that all of us can kind of hope for out here now is just hearing other people's stories, knowing that, oh, okay, I wasn't crazy. I wasn't demonic. Like I wasn't wrong in having these questions Mm -hmm. and in walking away, I was hurt. That was a real thing. Mm-hmm. And other people have moved on and that it is possible. It's not going to be easy, but it can be done. And there is there is life on the other side. That's the main thing that, that can help heal mm-hmm. right now. Since nobody is doing anything, you know, practical, reparations will mm-hmm. be nice. Like, it would be nice for these churches to, you need to have a harm fund and you need to be paying for people's therapy and you need to be, you mm-hmm. know admitting where things were done wrong and, and making actual changes. But short of that, it was always the volunteers making the church run and always the volunteers looking after each other. Mm-hmm. And we're doing that same thing on the mm-hmm. outside. Is there anything
0: else you want to say that you feel like has really been missing from the story or has just not been well represented in these documentaries or these
3: journalist articles that have come out I mean, tons of things, but (laughs) why would you? Mm. There are still people in Hillsong, New York. Mm -hmm. To me, you just deserve better. Mm. And even if you can't, you know, fathom leaving Hillsong and you have to make this place better, I honor that, I respect that. But also, you know, be honest with yourself about how effective you can actually be in this Mm -hmm. system. Like, changing things here is going to require asking questions and making people in power uncomfortable. Number one, do you even have the access to do that? Mm -hmm. And then number two, do you have the bravery? Like think about that fear, think about the things that you are fearing in your church and should it be that way? Hillsong is full of good people, they're great, but I would say as much as you can, stop supporting Hillsong. So if you are a volunteer and you're giving your time, that's enough please stop giving hillsong your money Mm. stop supporting these things that are not they're just not good and and kind of test the system that way like see Mm -hmm. see how much hillsong cares about you when you stop giving it what it wants i appreciate it i know you've already chosen to be vulnerable more than once about this so i appreciate
0: you coming on and trusting us with a little bit of your story too
3: yeah for sure thanks for having me now, if I find out, you guys are talking to Carl Linz right after this. <laughs> Fair.
1: I hope this is our last Hillsong episode for a while. Me too. But I think it depends on Hillsong. (laughs) Uh They need to calm down over there. For now, we are off for summer break. We hope all of you have a wonderful summer. And we'll be coming
0: at you midsummer with a little summer series. So watch out for that.
1: Plus, over the next two weeks, we'll be featuring some bonus episodes of another podcast we think you'll enjoy. Keep an eye on your feed for those in the next two weeks. Have a great summer, y'all. Have fun in the sun with sunscreen.
0: Saved by the City is a religion news service production. The producer is Jay Woodward and the consulting editor is Paul O'Donnell. We get production assistance from Elizabeth Joy Wyndham and Julia Wyndham.
1: Chaz Rousseau put together our look and Martin Fowler wrote our theme music. We are Roxy Stone. And Caitlin Beatty. Thanks, Thanks for, for listening. listening. Perfect.